always am intrigued by people that decide to go into politics, really, because one, it's like this weird industry of like really wanting to go about community development, but really doing it through like this process that has like all of these layers to it that really like mm. can sometimes take away from like the actual community development part. But I'm curious, like, like, have you always been passionate about politics? Like, where did this love of like St. Martin and like trying to get us to, you know, be where we know we deserve? Like, where, where did that start? You know, that's a great question. Uh, if I go back far enough in my memory, um, I always like I always have these um, great childhood memories that I go back to. You know, I grew up in Cahill and back in the the 90s, it, it was it really felt like a community, you know? We would all, um, all of the children in the neighborhood would come out to the streets, you know, once we got home from school and it was like, okay, what are we doing today? And I kind of turned into this sort of organizer without knowing it. So I would make a schedule. So like Mondays would be baseball. We would go down to Rao Lillage before there was a soccer field and we would play baseball there. Or, you know, we would explore the neighborhood, climb trees, pick fruit. Uh, so, you know, we were doing things in the, in the neighborhood every day and um and I don't know I I just felt like like community was important um maybe because I didn't have a big family either so I really um I really got close to to my neighbors and and made a lot of friends in the community and of course you know hurricanes were always an opportunity to sort of help your neighbors out and to look out for each other when 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 storms would happen and you know maybe someone lost their roof to give back so I mean my family have always been um, very community minded and so for me from small I I was just about community so that I guess somehow turned into this love of politics and this idea that a very small group of people are actually, you know, setting policies and regulations that lead an entire population, right, and a nation. And and I realized, I think, um, when I hit college that I could possibly be one of those people, um, but I knew that I had to work really hard to get there. And now that I'm here, you know, there's so much more work to do. But I still believe in this idea that, you know, so much more good can come out of politics um, than maybe we might we might be seeing. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of potential in this country. Potential is one of those things that Tamar always has. <laughs> and it's so interesting that I feel like this place that you would expect to really not be that significant. You know, it's a 37 square mile rock in the middle of the Atlantic that really you're like, mm, like you wouldn't expect anything special to come out of there. And yet it's like this, it it's like a magnet, you know, that really yeah. like reaches all out, you know, all over the world and brings to it people with all sorts of really interesting backgrounds that like really shapes this community to be this place that I don't think gets enough recognition for what is so special about the island. And I think it's so beautiful that you're talking about how, when you were a kid, like, like there was really this community of like trying to create spaces for the youth and really trying to tap into the land of like, even like knowing which trees to go pick fruit from and like what those fruits taste yeah. like. And to me, like those things are things you take for granted. And then like you leave and you're like, wait, there aren't any kinip trees like anywhere else <laughs> exactly. that I can just go, you know, pick some and the mangoes, you know, are so expensive, like everywhere <laughs> else. And you're like, wait, like I just, I would literally just go into my neighbor's backyard and pick the one that fell off the floor you know before the monkeys exactly. got to them um, and it's like all of these things that I feel like 
when you're a kid, you don't really think about the adults that are taking the time and energy to create those spaces for you. But like when you leave or like you you don't have those spaces, you recognize like how important they are just in terms of like where you're allowed to just be a kid and like express yourself and like learn from other people that are different from you. And to me, like that was the part of growing up on the island that I miss a lot more than I realized. And I'm curious, like for you, when you left as well, like to go abroad and further your study, did that help sort of even make it more clear in your mind of like how special this place is and like how important it is to be a same partner and like that just a tie to home that when you're there I feel like we kind of take it for granted you know we're just like "Ah, it's it's whatever no you're so right because it's it's interesting I still have my journals from you know when I was 12 so I do have um a journal that I kept in fifth form and I could and, and I think all fifth form was probably feel the same way I was like I can't wait to leave I'm done with high school I can't wait to go away and leave this little rock so I still have that book and I remember going to college and after um in Florida and after about a year I realized like, crap, I'm an island girl. Like I'm really an island girl, small town. Um, And, you know, I miss my country. And as much as I like being in the United States, it was where I wanted to be. I never wanted to go to Europe, at least not for my undergraduate degree. I realized that, um, you know, I, I love the island and the lifestyle. And so I couldn't wait to finish college and move back and, and do something, you know, and really and really give back because I knew at a very young age that we needed, you know, better policy making. Uh, so I, I kind of studied uh, I, mostly Caribbean politics while in college. And then uh, and then I came back. So it's yeah, it's very interesting that I remember that. And I know, like, I have a niece right now. She's about 40 years old. She sounds exactly the same. She can't wait to go. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to talk to you in about five years and see if, you know, if you still feel the same way. So it's really special um, for me. And I also I also think that it's okay for those of us that um, are away. What's important is that we continue to engage, right, the diaspora, and we keep connected because... I don't think there's enough opportunities here for everyone. So for me, how can you still um, give back or how can you still uh, keep engaged with the country while not um, living here? Uh, But I always tell everyone that's abroad, you got to come back at least every couple of years. Like you shouldn't stay away for too long. You know, you should come back, uh, jump in the sea, get a boost and then, you know, and then return, see your family and friends. That's important as well. Facts facts no I it's so funny because like everything you're saying like I it echoes my own experience of like when I was a teenager a senior year I really very much was like yeah I'm ready to get out of here like I'm like I'm so over it I'm like these people are stubborn they don't listen yeah. I'm I'm done I'm like uh, let me go to America the land of opportunity and go make it you know and it's interesting because leaving the island and coming to the states where like you're really like one of one, like especially, okay, if you don't go to Florida where you leave, there is at least a small community of same partners. If you go to some state in the middle of nowhere, it's really hard to know like if there's even another same partner there. It's like we don't have necessarily the resources to even stay connected when we're abroad because there's no way of really knowing like who is where yeah. and what they're doing. And so you tend to feel alone and it's interesting because it's like it forces you one to recognize like what is so unique about being a same partner because you realize like in the states um the way that like 
black people are even viewed or treated or the mindset that they have is so different from the mindset that we have as black Caribbean people. And it's like an interesting, you know, distinction between the two. And it just makes you, I feel like, even more appreciative of having grown up in the Caribbean because I feel like we have way more fun (laughs) than like every (laughs) other country. Um, But it's like, you're right, like they're even being in the States and having all of these opportunities, there's still that like energy and that call to home that like when you're on the island and you're grounded on the island and like you said, you go into the ocean, like there's like a rejuvenation that happens like with your spirit of just like being in your mother country, like where you are from, where, you know, your body cultivated itself you know really being a daughter or son of the soil um and there's something like so magical about that that i feel like i wish science better understood it because i feel like yeah that is the thing i think that makes him in such an interesting place is like there's something like energetic about it that like it just it echoes it just it just exudes this just like interesting like just magnetic energy and it's funny to me because like every american that i meet are always like oh my god like you're so cool or you're so fun and i'm like guys like it's because i'm a same partner like literally like if you met the other people from my country you would be like nicole is the least interesting person out of all of them i'm like these people are so cool and i'm curious like how is it when you represent St. Martin when you're like doing whether it be like for different you know trips that you do abroad like being sort of this ambassador of the country where like other people are really meeting you know like meeting our leaders and meeting the 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 vibe that is you know St. Martin even though we are a part of the Caribbean we definitely have our own like beat you know what I mean yeah, we really, we really do. I mean, like I could remember, um, you know, going uh, to college. Okay, so I spent a few years in Florida and then I did my last year in St. Thomas uh, because, you know, I was I was in Florida and I don't know, I got this calling to go to a Caribbean university. And I, of course, the options were UWE or the Virgin Islands, University of the Virgin Islands. And um, I decided to go to UVI because my mother actually went there. So, you know, I wanted to walk the same halls that my mother walked when she was younger. So I, I spent my last um, year, my bachelor's at uh, at St. Thomas. And I remember that they would get so excited when St. Martinez um, were on campus because I mean, we just we just used to have fun. Like we just love to have fun, and and um and so and now that I when I travel uh, as an MP, I mean, it's just really about. I mean, there's that of course natural friendliness, but there's also this um, ease that we have when engaging with other people because we're used to the diversity, right? That is that is our country. So getting to know others and um you know. I might not be fluent in Spanish, but it's okay. So being able to connect to others, no matter where they're from, I think is something that is inherent to us because of who we are and the diversity that, you know, that, that we have here. So that's always um, fun. It's always a good time to, to go abroad and connect to people. And I think uh, with other people, um, it's always like, I need to come here. You know, I need to come here and see, uh, you know, see what, what St. Martin is about. So Now for a message from our sponsors.
Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you are enjoying this episode, share it with a friend and leave us a review. It 100% helps us grow this podcast and get our message out there to help and inspire others. Have thoughts or opinions you want to share? Join the conversation on Anchor or on Spotify. I love to hear from you all and I can't thank you enough for your support. With that, let's get back to the good stuff. Like, you have to go there. I feel like words, like, don't do the island justice. It's like, you have to go there, be there, hang out with the locals, and you will, you will get it. Like you, will, you will pretty quickly understand, like, what the hype is all about. But I'm curious, like, <laughs> as a youngin, you know, like, understanding anything about St. Martin's political landscape, it, it can be difficult. You know, it can be difficult at times. People don't really know who's doing what or like what are the different roles or even just like how like what did what do each of the different functions really do and I'm curious as someone that's a part of parliament could you kind of break down like what is St. Martin's government structure and kind of like how does our structure it kind of influence just like how our nation is governed okay so we have a parliamentary democracy. Now, the difference between our um, our structure, let's say, compared to the United States, is that you know we we just have like one sort of Senate, right? Senate and Congress. The parla the parliamentarians are the representatives of the people. So elections are actually to elect MPs, members of Parliament. Um, that is a legislative branch. So we don't have these two houses. We have that one house, Parliament, and the representatives are our senators, um, our representatives, and and those representatives once elected via their parties then choose the executive branch, which are the ministers, right? So we have seven ministers and they are the, the executives who are responsible for the, that day-to-day -day execution of policy and the creation of legislation at, at the policy level on the ground. Um, so, you know, there's been talks of, of electoral reform, a survey went out, because does this structure work for us? You know, it is a sort of... Um, adapted from the the dutch the dutch uh, system does it work for us you know that's something that we need to decide but members of parliament i mean their main role is to actually hold government accountable and of course be the co-legislator with government the government is responsible for that day to day and uh, the ministers govern each sector you know the sectors that they are responsible for and our job as MPs are to hold them accountable are to pass the budget and also of course to co-legislate we hold them accountable by asking them questions by asking them to come in and make presentations uh, to um, to parliament and um, of course scrutinize the policies that uh, you know, that we think need to be scrutinized all on behalf of the people. So, yeah, you know, that is really how it works. And we're 12 years in, right, from, from so-called country status or constituent state status. And what we have not done is we haven't changed um, 
or even created, let's say, a national civics curriculum. And that is our issue because our students need to learn uh, more about what this new structure is and even our people, actually, because it's still kind of new and people, I don't think, understand the roles as much as they should. Uh, but that's, you know, that's our responsibility. I appreciate you breaking that down because, yeah, I agree. Like, even when I was in school, I don't know if it's because I went to an American private school. It probably was. But, like, there was no education on, like, St. Martin government or just, like, even Caribbean government. Mm-hmm. And, like, what were the difference between each of the islands and, like, how they govern themselves? And how does that, you know, show up in the kinds of issues that we face locally or within the region? And so I really do appreciate you breaking that down and providing that clarity because I do think it's important for people to understand sort of, like, what are the different roles? How do they sort of get in those positions and what is their duty really and truly and I'm curious like do you know why we have the ministers that we have within that 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 executive branch was that also sort of just based on the island council days or is this something that was sort of decided upon at like 10 10 10 you mean the ministries how the ministries are set up yeah yeah so like for example like we we don't have every type of ministry. Like we have a select yeah. few. So I'm curious, like kind of what influence the type of ministries that we have, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was, it was definitely adapted from the, the Antillian structure, you know? So at 10, 10, 10, um, those who were responsible for, you know, configuring this new state uh, sort of adapted the Antillian version of parliament and said, okay, these are how we're going to set up the ministries. Now we realize that we need to, to, to definitely make some changes there. We have one ministries that are way too big. Right. And that 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 might need to get um, separated uh, labor and health. I mean, so there's changes that need to be made. And it's been 12 years and I think it's time to make those changes. And we can. But, you know, the will needs to be there and uh, the vision as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I guess to transition out of that. So I'm curious, like as one of the like newer politicians, you know, the representing more so like the the younger generation, like millennials and really pushing for progress. What are like the main issues, I think, locally that are like the most important issues to you or the ones that you think like really impact, you know, community development and really like building a nation? So for me, um, the first is definitely, let's say, heritage, uh, civics, and, and um, education, right? Our, our education definitely needs to be uh, improved upon, and that is a curriculum, that is how our students learn, um, because, you know, it is about national um, or nation building, but also who do we want our citizens to be? You know, and, and, and we really need to, to focus on education and building the type of citizens that will, uh, you know, uh, create a country that we can be proud of and fix the issues that have been around for so, so long. So that is number one for me. Um, when we talk about com- community development, I'm a proponent of um, sort of 
kind of making, I don't want to make another layer of government, but we need to strengthen community councils. It actually might be an added bureaucracy, but this idea that each community can have um, leaders that are hired to focus on that community's problems is extremely important because that is connected to the fact that ministers are extremely busy with so many different portfolios. How can you really focus on um, a community's um, very specific issues, even though there might be a there is a department for community development, but I think we need to add an extra layer where communities have um, councils that can be set up as um, sort of private public um, uh, organizations that get funding to serve their community directly, because I think that's a problem in the British system. You have uh, representatives of, of districts, right? So you vote for um, a representative from your district. So you, it's very easy to go to that person and say, hey, there is water running down my road or this light needs to be fixed. But in our system, MPs uh, represent the entire population. You know, so 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 that that level of focus, I think, needs to be created. Again, we see it when hurricanes happen, right? Communities have to come together to help each other out. And if we, if government can put resources, resources needed, each in each and every uh, specific community, I think we would see a lot of um, work being done to service um, our population more directly. So that is number two. Um, we have not taken care of our environment. Like environmental protection is extremely high on my list um, because we see that the country, maybe some of us might not think that it is overdeveloped, um, but we don't have enough green spaces. A lot of construction in the hills are going, I believe, unchecked. And um, I think that is a problem because at the end of the day, you know, in 30 years, I might be gone or 40 years. And, um, you know, what am I leaving for the next generation in terms of, you know, of, of land and of, and, and of environment? So those to me right now are the three top things. Of course, financial management is extremely important because everyone says that you need money in order to do anything. Um, so we definitely need to improve our public finances. Um, but those for me are important because if we're talking nation building, our people need to be um, ready to take on uh, leading uh, in the next generation. Um, our communities need to be strengthened. You know, we need to really minimize this uh, this separation that we might have now, right, as compared to 20, 30 years ago when we were more cohesive, and then we need to take care of our environment. Yeah, I mean, I think all of those are such interesting issues because they're so complicated and, and there's so many ways to kind of look at them. And education is one of those things that I, I also agree is such an interesting one to tackle because it's like the more that I think about it the more I see so many different angles because on the one hand it's like our education system is so fragmented because we are such a diverse country where like we technically have multiple official languages which impact you know our language of instruction but just even like the different academic paths that students can take locally 
um, whether it be like you're taking the more Caribbean like CXC path or you're taking the Dutch path, you know, with like Havo and Veveo and all that, or you're taking like American or a Canadian path, each of them really like opens up a different level of like opportunities for students. But unfortunately, when they're young, it's unclear like which path you really should go down and like if you don't have like the proper support to kind of like help think ahead for you you can really get yourself in like a really you know shitty situation where you are in the business package but then you want to go and study engineering and you can't just because you have never taken you know enough science credits to really get into those types of universities but then on the other hand it's like see martin also has this issue of brain drain where we are able to develop extremely talented students that can go on and influence so many different sectors, you know, internationally. Um, but we don't get to see sort of the the benefit of all of the talent that we did develop because we can't afford them, you know, after we've made yeah. them. So it's like this <laughs> double-edged sword of like, we are to some degree raising incredible students that are able to really have gigantic impact all over the world. But because we are able to do that, we're also making it difficult for our own island to be able to afford them. And it's like this weird thing of like, on the one hand, we're saying like we can't cultivate students, but it's I think it's more of like the equity of that discussion, right? Like not everybody's having the same educational experience. And as a result, there's like this gap that's forming between the groups of kids that for whatever reason are able to have like a, a sufficient educational experience locally that they're allowed they're able to you know expand their opportunities abroad versus the students that aren't in that luxury and as a result don't really have a path to build a career for themselves because they don't really have the resources locally to help develop their skill set in an international market that's like always changing you know with with technology being such a big disruptor and yeah, it's definitely a difficult issue to tackle, compounded by the fact that you have different, you know, um, languages of instruction and just different academic paths. And so it's like one of the interesting benefits of being such a diverse community that also is like a double-edged sword of like, you're like, <laughs> how do we really go about fixing this when to some degree, some people could argue that it works, it just doesn't work for everyone, right? And like, that's the real problem, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I, I agree completely, right? Because for me, it's, I think it's, of course, um, it's great to have choices, right? And to be able to experience uh, different um, worlds, different types of education, of course, depending on uh, your personal or family situation. Uh, but what is important is that there should be some like basic standards, right? Each and every child that uh, graduates high school, no matter the high school, what are the those those basic outcomes that we can expect from them? Um, you know, so, you know, they're supposed to be um, critical thinkers and should be able to at least... Um, maybe not master, but communicate well enough in a second language. So like there, there are basic principles that I think could be installed throughout all the systems. We just need to, to say this is what we want, right? So we need to be outcome focused. So each and every child is supposed to be 
this when they finish whatever high school that they finish. And of course, there, there should be um, pathways to expanding their, um, their horizon, of course, again, based on whatever their, um, their, their socioeconomic status is. So we, the University of St. Martin used to be, used to, used to produce more than they are producing now and that is one of the hurtful things when i think about tertiary education on the island because the university of st martin has been there i think since the uh, early 80s or the late 70s i was one student who i finished fifth form and i was 16 and i was like i am not ready yet to go to college i just need one year and i went to usm for one year and it was a great year and it was this bridge to you know, to university. Um, so we, we, we have to put more into, into USM so that students who do not leave the island can get a quality tertiary education here. We have made more connections to universities in the Caribbean. So we have sort of improved on send, sending children to Trinidad, to Jamaica. Um, and that needs to increase as well because that is also a more economic, uh, feasible option for our students. And then, of course, there's the Netherlands and there's the United States. So I do actually appreciate that our children have choices, um, but we definitely need to improve on how they can access, you know, a college education and then hopefully return to to a job that is, um, you know, that is up to par. But it's quite it's quite difficult. But to me, we yeah. just once we're focused on outcomes, we should uh, we should see, you know, we should see some improvement. Yeah, definitely. I like how you, you phrase it. Like, there just needs to be standardization of what that experience looks like, right? Because I agree. Like, I, you know, as much as I, I honestly, you know, having lived in the States for a period of time now, I actually feel like St. Martin's education is even better than what these American children be getting. Because I'm <laughs> yeah. like, oh my gosh, like, they're not teaching you that? Like, I'm like, okay. And it's, like, interesting when you talk to Americans and they don't have any concept of, like, world geography or world history. It's just, like, 100% yeah. America focus, which is nice in the sense that, like, okay, like, they do focus on their national story. And that is important when you're building an identity for your community. But one of the yeah. things that I think gives, like, like, myself an edge, you know, when I go abroad is the fact that because I – did learn you know about the the global dynamics that sort of create the world today i think it allows me really to have a better understanding of not just like why are we in the situation that we're in for every different country but like really making it easier to relate to people that have a different story and journey than mine and i think that is like one of the greatest things about our education system is like the diversity of the student body itself is such a tremendous asset in just shaping like the cultural intelligence of our people because it's interesting to me here like in the united states when they talk so much about building this inclusive culture and for me it's like a weird thing because i'm like what are you talking about building an inclusive culture i'm like you mean just like <laughs> just hanging out with people that are different from you that have different religious beliefs, different cultural beliefs, and just like actually being adopted into their culture and learning about it from a place of like love and appreciation. And I'm like, that is literally home. I'm like, that literally yes. is like just being a St. Martiner. And it's so interesting to me that like, these are things that other countries are trying to cultivate, but it's something that already just exists in St. Martin because of the diverse nature of like the people and like this willingness of like 
we're here on this island you know the island ain't that big so it's not like we can hide from each other like we have to face each other and I thought it was so interesting that you mentioned like the need for district representatives because that is something that I have never really seen too much on the island but you're right like this idea of like having district representatives people that live in these districts have been living there their whole lives they understand the problems they care about their district because obviously this is where they live and like really being like a community advocate for the people that live there so that the ministers don't necessarily have to be the ones in every single district all the time because there's just no way um, for them to even have the bandwidth to focus on all of that when like they have exactly. bigger, more pressing issues that are really important that need to be dealt with so that they can do that. But it doesn't take away from like the need to have those types of representatives. And I, I think that's great because it honestly gives more opportunity for people to be engaged in their community and to like feel like they're leaders within their space. Because I think one thing that we struggle with is just like, lifting people up to kind of take these roles of responsibilities so that everybody feels like they have a purpose in community development because they do like every single person on the island has a role to play in making the island you know the best place to live in the entire world but if we don't feel empowered and we don't really feel like it's our place or like people might be like oh but who is she like who does he or she think they are to like be the person then it kind of just takes away from that when it's like everybody needs that everybody has you know their skill set that can be used to help the community grow even if it's like you are a construction worker and you're like you know what I'm gonna take it upon myself to like fill in the potholes you know that are in the street because I know this this is an impact area for my community and it's a small thing that I can do with the skills that I have to contribute to making my community a better place you know so, yeah, I'm curious to see how we can fight for more representation in that matter or like just give people um, the power or the platform to speak up and like to be beacons of their community or stewards of their community. Because I think it's good for them, but it's also just good for the community to know that there's someone that they can go to that's more within reach that they can really like express how they feel and then all of that information sort of bubbles up through the chain to eventually become a policy or become um some sort of like civil action that we can you know visibly see you know they're like my greatest uh my greatest enemy is the feeling of powerlessness like I I really hate it when people feel powerless um, because that means that they have kind of given up, right? Because they don't think that um, they can achieve anything. And, and that to me is an issue that we have here. And community development is one of those ways in which to empower the community. Um, I've, I've been like a proponent of community-based tourism. You know, we have... Um, like if I look across the road, right, there's an elderly lady and her children don't live on St. Martin anymore. So she has three empty bedrooms, right, that could possibly turn into Airbnbs, you know, and she could possibly give lessons on Johnny Cake making and make some money there. You know, there's so much opportunities um, that are possible within these communities. Um, but, but 
what we have as well is a leadership problem. If if more leaders and, and of course visionary leaders leaders would emerge, our people would follow. Like I think our people are always open to trying things out, to being entrepreneurial, uh, to helping, but they like the leader needs to em- to emerge and to and to organize and to coordinate. I think that's one of the one one of the things that I I see, and in terms of the community, the um, the we are, I am with uh, some community leaders working on a proposal to turn that idea into into a reality. Now, of course, like I said, it would be I would say another layer of government. So, of course, that'll take extra resources, uh, but it is something that is very necessary because maybe not all communities, but there are a number of communities. Um, where we have very strong vocal leaders that are like, listen, this is my home and you need to pay attention to it and I'm going to make noise about it. And um, and it's definitely a way to get things done. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, yeah, that's great just to see people that really care you know and it's interesting because again it's like you're thinking about what are you leaving for future generations and climate change to me is like one of those issues that is so hard um being an islander because it's like that feeling of powerlessness to you know the the powers that be like mother nature is one of those things that we can't you know, pull her into a conference and say, like, look, ma'am, like, I know we're not taking good care of you, but like, you need to chill out on these hurricanes. Like, this is not cute, boo. It's not like someone we can just pull in and say, you know what, maybe postpone that hurricane to next time. Like, now is just not a good time. Like, let's just not do that. Like, it's not really something that we can do. But at the same time, a large part of like the waste issue or even the pollution issue that contributes to climate change is not even from our own country and it's from other larger nations but because we don't necessarily have a voice in the international you know um, on the international stage and it's not really an issue even though I know like the Netherlands represents like our foreign affairs it's as much as climate change is an issue for the Netherlands being you know under sea level already at this point they're not really advocating for the impact of climate change on the other countries within the kingdom, um, which is a very interesting thing considering the fact that we are countries within a kingdom. And you would think that a threat to one part of the kingdom would be a threat to the entire kingdom. Um, but it's interesting because it's like, even as islanders, our own mental framework around climate change I don't really think is something that the community really understands and as much as like we are starting to see sort of like the the impact or the consequences of not taking care of our environment it's still not something that people recognize as a threat to their livelihood and it's one of those things that for me like I care so deeply about the environment because to me it's an actual threat to like the culture it's a threat to my identity it's a threat to my community and I I for me it's like one of those things that it's hard to not be passionate about because I understand very clearly like what this reality could manifest as if we choose to do nothing and that is simply that St. Martin doesn't exist we're no longer a part of the conversation like okay maybe we weren't a part of it to begin with but now we really don't even have a chance to be a part of it because the land that we call our home is just non-existent you know because we we weren't 
clear enough to advocate for our land. And it's like one of those things that I hope never becomes a reality because like, can you imagine being a person with no home to point to? Like, I feel like that's an experience that people don't really understand. And so for me is like, is the future generation that's eventually going to have to deal with those consequences. It's weird that like within even our own country, the types of um, practices that we have even around our own waste management or on our own like energy generation does not automatically include this, you know, concept of sustainability and circularity and just like being environmentally focused because we are the people that are going to suffer the most from this. And it's, yeah, it's like interesting because it's like, we grew up with the land. We grew up next to the environment. You know, we know more than anyone, like how beautiful and how powerful nature can be. Um, and it, it gives us like, it creates opportunities for so many people, whether it be local fishermen, local farmers, people that really uh, make a living off of the land and off of the sea. Um, even if it's through tourist services, but it's like, I'm curious what you think will like help sort of make this shift to making people more climate conscious and just even just more aware of the fact that like, we are literally the people on the front lines. Like we're the people that are going to face the pain first and making people feel more empowered to fight for it because i think the only time people care is like when hurricane comes and like you said like your neighbor loses their roof and that is when it sets in like oh damn like this is rough but all all of the months before that you know when we're not in hurricane season it's like we forget that we're still in the same you know situation it's just that right now nature has calmed down you know what i mean yeah <laughs> It's, it's sort of crazy, right? Because you would think that that mindset would be, you know, it, it, it would be natural for us, but it really needs to be this paradigm shift. Um, I really like this idea of switching, um, switching the term small island development state to large ocean development state or big ocean, you know, because to me, it, it, it's sort of, you know, we first of all we we should think bigger if we're we're thinking about um, about the ocean, right? That that surrounds us. Not only seeing the ocean as potential, right? So the blue economy, which we're still not really developing, um, which we have so much potential to develop, especially with our location. You know, um, not only as a as a hub, um, airport wise, but also as a you know as a hub for the um, for water right, on the sea. So this this idea of being a big ocean developing state also as it pertains to climate change because we are on the front line. And I, I don't know if it's because we have had um, big gaps between major hurricanes, but we know that those gaps are closing in. So again, it goes back to leadership sort of setting this or creating this new mindset in which we think about the fact that First of all, we have to stay ready all the time that this is our reality, that it actually makes us stronger, right? That, you know, we're tired of hearing the word resilience, but that, you know, resilience is in our blood. So we actually should always be prepared and that we need to also do our part in, in taking care of our environment. But about the fact that the ocean can do not only harm, but a lot of good too. 
So, so to me, that that shift will only happen when uh, leadership sorts of leadership creates creates a shift in the mind of in the minds of our people. And again, we go back to school and our education and ensuring that uh, in each and every cur curriculum, in each and every school, that our students understand what it means to be a small island or a big ocean, you know, citizen. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, but, but uh, we're always kind of a little bit behind the rest of the world. And we actually at... Um, uh, at uh, the IPCO, at the, at the Kingdom Conference in the Netherlands uh, last month, we talked about the fact that this was not only St. Martin, but actually all of the other islands talked about the fact that we aren't talking climate change on the island. We're not really talking, you know, um, climate financing and so forth. So it's, it's an island problem that we have in the kingdom, and there definitely needs to be, needs to be a shift, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually really like how you frame that. And instead of thinking that we're small island people, we're big ocean, you know, advocates. And I think that's such yeah. a beautiful way because, yeah, we forget that, like, the ocean is a part of our land and it's a part of our jurisdiction and it's a part of who we are just being islanders that like we think only about the physical land that we walk on. But we're more than that. And even if you look at like um, I was like recently um a part of like Microsoft's Give program, one of the events that we have is this uh, Missing Maps program. And what it's about is really like helping map um, areas of the world that don't really have a lot of resources. And so for me, obviously being a St. Martiner, I'm going to go home, right? I'm like, if there's any place I know, like the back of my hand, it's St. Martin. And when I looked at the map of, of our island, for one, like, I was amazed at how much information was already there. So it's like, uh, it's called like Open Street Map, which is um, a map that influences a lot of the different like technical applications that use geography. But just seeing like not even the land, but the, the aspect of the ocean that was like our territory and how we divided the ocean between ourselves and the front side. And even our neighboring islands was something that I had never really considered. Um, and just thinking about the ocean as, you know, a sustainable resource that we can tap into, but also just like our way of sort of flexing our jurisdiction on the rest of the world of like, okay, you guys, yes, might have a lot of land, but we have a lot of ocean and this is something that we need to protect. But you're right. We always think of ourselves as like, small island people instead of like big ocean advocates and I really appreciate that shift in perspective even for me because like now I'm like looking at it completely differently um because yeah I'd never really thought of islands as being advocates for the ocean the way that we really should and yeah I think it's important and I'm glad to hear that the the region is starting to think about our place as like climate advocates because I feel like if there's any place that should be really championing this this discussion of like our relationship with the land and nature it should be islanders you know these are the people that really live and breathe nature and honestly it's one of the things that I also think makes St. Martiners very unique and very blessed is the fact that because we grow up with this relationship with nature like for me I find plants in my house like all the time like I can't not have them <laughs> I can't not think of exactly. like cultivating land cultivating agriculture just because I had these experiences growing up of like 
visiting farms locally and like seeing what that could be like and just like having the ability of like harvesting from your backyard or just from your environment um, is something that I don't think we realize is something that is really beneficial to communities and it's one of the things that I love to see more of like instead of palm trees having more coconut trees because it's like the same aesthetic but one gives you food and the other one doesn't you know and it's like little things like that that we need to think about um to really reshape how we sort of build our relationship with the land but going into sort of like the the aspect of government and like or even just like people's role I'm curious like how you think that we as St. Martiners should really reshape our role and responsibility to be a part of the discussion of you know nation building because I think a lot of the times like people will just say like oh it's for government to figure out like it's government's problem like they should do it like that's what they're there for but really I think that just um is a good excuse to sort of wipe your hands clean of your own personal responsibility in building a nation and I think like even all of us all of us that call ourselves St. Martiners whether you're local or you're abroad each have a role to play in being a part of this discussion of national development because when we're thinking about larger countries like yes America is great because of the Americans that are there within America but there's still a lot of work that the Americans that are abroad outside of America are doing to the development of America and a part of that is the fact that even if you're an American and you leave the island, I mean, not leave the, when you leave the country, you're still in debt to America. Like you still have to contribute to the development of America. Like if as long as you say you're an American, like you owe America, you know, for that title. And so it's interesting just trying to figure out like how do we empower the people to recognize their role in building a nation and in not just being just the government. So I'm curious, like what you sort of think about getting people to realize, yeah, like they too have a voice and they too have a role to play, even if it's not like an official title. Sometimes it takes recognizing that you are a legend before getting the title of being a legend, right? Like it takes you recognizing that you are a leader before someone calls you a leader because it is what you are like you don't need the validation from others so I'm curious like what you how you think we can kind of get people more empowered to to just take on the responsibility without anybody asking them to yeah no so I am a proponent of um participation citizen participation in parliament specifically uh, in this new parliamentary year, and I've talked about it, but the proposal is coming out. I want to uh, expand the reach of the people as it regards, for one, what we debate in parliament, right? Because the people don't really have a direct say in what uh, meetings are held and what debates we have in parliament. Um, and a lot of our people don't know that because we are their representatives, they have a right to petition parliament on anything that um, that is an issue for them. So I did request that a campaign uh, go out. Um, and now the idea is to sort of allow our people to get on to the agenda or set the agenda for parliament, right? If there's a big issue in the community that... Um, that citizens or residents can say, hey, listen, this is an important issue for us and we want you to debate it in parliament. So that is something, at least at parliamentary level, that I'm going to be pushing because it's a culture actually that has to be created that is not really there. And 
government as well, I believe, has a responsibility to empower our citizens more to move from this sort of just information flow, you know, stakeholder consultation and really partner with citizens, um, with organizations on decision making. So really partner, just not consult. Um, we go back to schools and the fact that, again, it, it needs to be a part of, of the curriculum and school culture, that becoming um, a citizen, a resident, means that you are involved in, um, in some sort of um, civic life. And, but they need the opportunities too. I must say, if I look at, let's say, teen times now compared to teen times when it started when I was in high school, um, they have already made a few differences. You know, I, I passed at least one or two motions based on advocacy by teen times and young people. So and I and I told them and I, I wanted them to know that any action on their behalf can really make a difference because again it goes back to I don't want our young people to feel powerless and that they don't have a voice. And I think that we're seeing some progress there. So it's really it's really like we have to create this culture and, and, and our citizens need to not only be given a voice, but they need to feel that that voice um can can actually um, can 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 get outcomes can can actually achieve results that they can stand up for something and they can see something done but it, it it's definitely it's definitely a culture shift and it has to has to take place at all levels of society because if the young people are doing it um, adults need to understand that it's important for them if there are town hall meetings which happen you know every so often but not as much as it should that they should be involved and they do have a right to have a say about what is happening uh, in their communities. So I'm hoping that we will see some more progress where that is concerned, but it's extremely important because that is the only way we are going to, to me, see see real development and progress moving forward. Because this idea that just a few group of people are doing everything that needs to be done, it's impossible. You know, we need each other. We need to uh, not only connect, but we need to realize that we are all sort of responsible and accountable for the development of this country. Yeah, definitely. And I, I really like the Teen Times example because you're right. Like, it's great to have organizations that empower the youth to use their voice and to show them that you can have sort of this tangible change. And I feel like all the kids that go through Teen Times, myself included, you sort of leave sort of with this empowered state of mind of knowing that like what you say actually matters and it resonates with people. And it's not just like you in your head, you know, having these concerns or having these doubts, but it's actually something that others in your community also feel and by you taking the brave step to amplify this cause whatever it is that's important to you um there are other people that also feel the way that you do and appreciate the fact that you actually took that step to go and do it but I know it can be scary and I think a lot of the time people are sometimes afraid of like the repercussions of being sort of loud and proud about what they care about. But the thing is, is like, to me, that's what makes us human. And it's fine if like what you care about is not what other people care about. But if it's important to you and you feel like this is something that can positively impact those around you, say it like there's no harm in saying it. And I'm curious, like for people that are not sure how to go about bringing up matters that are important to them to parliament, 
guess what are like the the different avenues like should they just go to the representative that they know or is there like sort of um an email that they're supposed to reach out to um I guess like yeah is there or is that what you're trying to figure out is create a more formal process for citizens whether locally or abroad to sort of give their two cents or you know give feedback if you will so there is so the one formal process um is um so you can write a letter to parliament and also email it so formally there is a process it's called petition and it's not petition in the way that we know petition so there's there is a single petition so you can be just one person sending a letter hey listen um members of parliament i have an issue in my neighborhood or i have a personal issue um that i need uh, assistance with that government needs to to act on and that person could either drop the letter in physically or email parliament i think the general email is info at let me look it up info at sxmparliament.org so that letter that has to be of course signed can be also emailed to parliament um, residents can also of course do that standard petition sign a petition with an issue that they have we have a responsibility to uh, review petitions and then act on them so most of the time it, it only involves us uh meeting and then saying to government listen with respective minister this is an issue that a resident or a group of residents have uh, what is your response to the issue can you act on it so that is something that is um, that is possible to do now i want to expand the avenues by creating um, you know the ability to set an agenda for debates in parliament and and so forth so i'm really hoping that we can expand those avenues because the more avenues there are the more you know our citizens can feel like they're a part a part of the decision making because it's very important for me that uh that our people are are empowered to to be a part of what happens in this country and really uh when it concerns direct policy making you know i'm i'm really tired of these big uh, plans and and so forth that uh you know that are, that are sort of big ideas right that that are not really um focused in on very specific matters so i think that needs to happen and hopefully we can see more avenues yeah definitely I'm curious then, because I know like one of the issues like St. Martin has in general is a resource issue, right? Like a small island nation. Like we know we have 37 square miles of land and that's already, you know, divided between two nations plus a lagoon if we're, you know, being accurate exactly. about what these 37 square miles cover. Um, so that means you have less land than that. And the population on the dead side is only like 40 something thousand people. That is not even the size of Microsoft and that's one company, you know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> dealing, you know, with like this resource constraint of like how that impacts, you know, our, our country's development. I've always sort of looked at technology as sort of this means to helping alleviate sort of those resource constraints because technology can kind of do a lot of the, you know, the manual repetitive um, work that we often give to people and often can take a lot of time but don't really need people to be doing and people should be focused on like more um 
like setting sort of the the intention, setting the vision, and then figuring out how best to implement that. And then if there is tasks that do require like human specific intervention, then you have people whose job it is really to maintain or monitor or execute on that. Um, but really like leveraging technology to sort of like reduce sort of our our need to have all of these external resources that we just can't have because of our limited size or limited um, like human capacity. I'm interested to just hear like what your thoughts are and like really adapting more technology, even if it's to like improve the government's efficiency, improve parliament's efficiency. Um, Because I, at least like with the work that I do with Microsoft, a lot of it is like, empowering organizations to do more like that's our mission and so it's figuring out like really technology as like this driver to free people up to do more of what matters and less of the stuff that sort of gets in the way of that so I'm curious like if you could speak on um, just government's view on technology and the view of like integrating that as a means to sort of offset some of our resource limitations um and really allow people to be more specialized in like the work that they do so that they can be just more efficient and make the government more efficient so that ministers don't really have to focus on like reading all of these emails or like going through all of the stuff because they have tools that whether it be like power automate that allows them when you get a petition from say a citizen it automatically gets emailed to all of the correct parties um, based off of that you know you have like the the chair of parliament gets an email to approve that and it if they approve it then it gets added to the agenda automatically and they don't have to constantly do all of these you know like all of these little random things that sort of delay the process of at the end of the day, what we really want is when someone has an issue, they know how to submit it. It automatically goes through the pipelines and channels that it needs to to get elevated to the right audience. That audience has the tools to make a very quick and easy decision that everybody can see. And then from there, the the matter gets, you know, um, actually acted upon, which is the topic that's discussed in Parliament on a timely matter. Um before like the issue just doesn't even be relevant it's not relevant anymore if that makes sense and even just like yeah using data to kind of power the decisions that you make and um, make it easier for you guys to make it traceable um, and just make it accessible to the public you know when it's necessary so yeah I know that was a lot I kind of just hit (laughs) with a lot of like with technology but yeah I'm just curious like it is I'm realizing it is my issue it's a problem I have um because I think too much about this stuff so I'm just trying to like figure out like you know is government like yeah like do they have plans to integrate more technology are they looking for people that have those expertise to help drive those discussions around like how can we apply technology to make the guy you know the island more effective um yeah because i know they talk about crypto and stuff but i'm like okay we're jumping the gun like there's so many other things that we should be focused on before we even get into crypto um so yeah like i'm curious just you know what the but the news is on that. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, uh, Harsha, it's really about the it's really about the ministers, right? So I must say that we have seen progress over the last couple of years. Um, I know the former okay, yeah, the former prime minister went to Estonia. You know that Estonia is known for their e-gover government and um 
this this idea of uh, digital citizenship and so forth. So I do know that we had a, a delegation that went to Estonia that wanted to understand the possibilities for really digitizing government. We have seen some improvements with, let's say, digital payments for services um, uh, for government. Um, that that has happened, so that is a uh, progress. Um, but uh, we there is so much work to be done, and I don't think everyone understands how much technology can help us. Um, you know, uh, I, I when I recently came back from the Netherlands, and you know, with the Netherlands, they're really moving towards this cashless society. And when I think about how much cash we use here, I mean, you can find the negatives and the positives in that. Um, I think that instead of the vision being set to sort of improve processes and 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 let's say even um cash management through technology, we it's like. I don't know. It's like we 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 don't want to to go too far ahead. I don't know if we're scared. I don't know if we think that our people won't be able to adjust to uh, or understand what it means to be more um, technologically savvy. But it's something that I see. There are some of us, and and the, of course those younger politicians, especially and and persons in the community that are pushing towards that. But then there is still that resistance from those who don't, you know, like like now banks are saying no more checks. And, you know, people are like, why, you know, we still should use checks. And so there's, you know, there's there's a real there's a real pushback. So it's kind of like a, a push and a pull. Um, and and I'm. I don't think we're seeing progress as quickly as we should. In Parliament specifically, uh, when it comes to data, um, this is something that I am also working on. I spoke to some representatives of the USC in the Netherlands, which is a unified smartphone connection foundation. And I am going to be proposing this digital library um, where students can send their dissertations to Parliament so that indeed our decisions, um, uh, regulations that we may propose, legislation, policies can be, um, you know, data driven and backed. And when I thought about it, because I was a supervisor about two years ago for a student, um, in the Netherlands, and I'm like, how many students are doing dissertations on solving policy issues on St. Martin annually, and those dissertations never see the light of day, they don't end up on the desks of, of, of members of parliament, definitely not on government where they should at least end up. Um, how many dissertations are disappearing into, you know, into space? Um, that could actually be used to solve issues. And so um, the students were quite um, excited about it. Of course, it's, it's, it's a give and a take, you know? So can we, um, as MPs, present more opportunities to students abroad to do internships or to help with supervision and so forth? And even those persons who have graduated that just have solutions, if that could be sent to Parliament, we create this digital library that the public can also access and, and, and students could also access. I think that uh, would help us out when it comes to problem solving because too much work is done annually that is not used and, and that is a problem that I hope um, 
I can solve. So that is one way that I'm thinking right now, a practical approach, um, because we have a huge uh, data issue. And then we also have an issue where it comes to access, um, access of information and data. So at least in Parliament, I hope to see some progress there with that. Um, but technology is like, honestly, I, I don't know. I wish I had a bag of money to give you so that you could come down and <laughs> present solutions to us because the solutions that you just talked about, uh, we could definitely use in Parliament. I mean, we still, some of our processes are still pretty outdated. And again, there's always this push and pull between what is standard and what is common practice and 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 where we see like listen there's a there's a future and we need to make processes easier because things take too long yeah no definitely i it's interesting just because like like my passion is technology and so like working for what i'll say is the leader in technology you know it's interesting because like for me, the reason that I, I'm not on the island is because I'm abroad working, you know, for this great company. And so it's always like, okay, great. Um, we have this mission to empower others. But for me, I internalize that really is like, how do I empower my country? Um, and I, I definitely understand what you're saying with this whole legacy burden of just like old ways of doing things. And it's like, once you're used to doing something a certain way and you know that it works um, sometimes there's a large barrier to change, even if that change makes it easier for do, for you to do the tasks that you want to accomplish. And I agree a large part of it is going to be citizen education, but I don't even think that that's just a local problem. I really think that's an international problem when it comes to technologies that our customers don't completely understand the technology that we build. And because technology is evolving at such a rapid pace, like people don't like they think of it as like oh tech is like for nerds and so it's this hard thing that I can't understand and that means it's not for me and because of that I'm going to be super intimidated by it and I'm going to be like I'm going to stick with what I know because it works and it's easy for me and I don't have to think about it but really I think partially it is engineers like myself's job to make tech more accessible so that people who are not trained in engineering don't feel as though it's intimidating because it shouldn't be because if technology is intimidating, then we're failing to do our job, which is technology is supposed to just exist to make life easier. We're not even supposed to have to think about it, which is like the beauty of a cashless system is you don't even have to think about writing the check and who it goes to and balancing your checkbook and all of that. You just go boop, boop with your NFC, you know, module in your phone or in your tablet and you can buy whatever the hell you want and all of it is tracked, you know, digitally. You don't have to worry about that. You get the notification right away. So it's not like somebody could just charge your credit card without you knowing about it. It's a very, you know, more protective, more secure. And I think that's a large part of why we need to push with technologies because security, you know, is such a huge issue. And small island nations, I think, especially are at a much larger risk of like, being security compromised because of the legacy burden of really advancing our systems to be on par with like just like where the world is at and I don't think there's any part of the world that's like at this place that's like a standard anywhere it's like all of these different parts of the world even within the United States are adopting technology at different places so that's why the west side of America is like far ahead technically than the south you know and like these are things that people don't think about when they're thinking about these great countries is they're like oh like all of america is like super progressive 
that is not the case, like far from it. There are very much parts of America that are very much very cash-based, you know, just like small island communities like St. Martin. But again, it takes like the educating of our of our people to know that, look, technology is here to help you. It's really not here to make your life easier. It's supposed to make your life a ton, you know, a, a lot easier, much less stress, you know, making you focus again on what really matters. But if we don't have people that are even just bringing this to government's awareness like hey just so you know there are these tools that you can use that really will automate all of this work that you do and you so you don't have to do it and i'm like who wants to do that anyways you know um but i'm curious just like thinking about the future because a lot of the time i hear you know from like younger people that they've lost hope you know like they, they say like you know say martin's youth has has lost hope they just don't care anymore um they've kind of just like checked out and are not interested and I feel like that's very far from the truth because I consider myself a part of the youth still and I have not lost hope if anything I feel like just because I'm gone you know it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not trying to fight for for what's important but I'm curious for those that do feel like especially those on the island that are just like not seeing the progress that they want to see and they have this narrative in their head about you know all of these bigger countries being better than home um and so like you build up this sort of like expectation that I need to leave and I need to go everywhere else than to be where I'm at as someone that left the island you built your you know you got your education abroad but you came back home because you saw what was so valuable about St. Martin you know how do you I guess like do you have advice to just give these young kids that are like I just don't have hope I feel like my country just doesn't care about me I feel like there's just nothing for me to do here um, and just kind of like don't really know where to position themselves because it's kind of like the world is going in so many different directions and without like a place to feel grounded it can sometimes just feel very anxious and very overwhelming and sometimes just like too much to deal with and so I'm curious yeah like if you just have any thoughts on you know how to kind of remind them that there is hope as especially as a leader that's you know actively fighting to build that beautiful St. Martin that we know we deserve um yeah do you have any like words of advice for them as they're you know trying to figure it out and figure out their place in in all of this yeah no so first I understand completely even if I was in that position some time ago you know uh, 20 20 something years ago um, I don't think it ever changes that initial feeling of first of all wanting to leave to experience the, the, the big wide world or to experience better opportunities so that I understand completely um, right now I do have to admit that we are kind of in a very um, turbulent time. Uh, and I think every country experiences this. Uh, so we are in a time where, you know, there's so much uncertainty. I mean, we talked about us being on the front line of climate change. Um, a hurricane can hit at any time. Um, you know, the whole world right now is having, um, is in like an economic downturn. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of turmoil, there's war and so forth. So I understand those feelings. Those feelings are completely normal to have. Uh, but there is always hope, especially when um, there are new persons coming into the political landscape. And I see that there are some young people that 
um, are demanding to be heard, and that is exactly how it should be. And at least me and a few other politicians are listening to, to the cries of the young people and are trying to do what we can from our position is going to take all of us. We we could never give up. You know that's one thing that I think is not who we are. Um, so you can if you if you want to take a break, if you want to leave and come back, that's fine. Um, but but there is no giving up um, because that is not who we are. Um, there there's always hope, but I do understand that we are we are in, in sort of a turbulent time. Um, but I think I think. You know, and this is life, and it's and it's for the country, and and even for us as individuals. You know, there's there's always, um, you know, the sun always comes out. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn, and that's true. So even as a nation, we can experience being in darker times, but we have to know that this is not permanent. Like this country will not be in this state permanently. I don't believe because, like I said, there are those of us that are fighting, and as long as there are those of us that are fighting. Um, we can make a difference, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, there are organizations that that young people can join. I am definitely one of those representatives that I'm always available. And I, as I said, I understand um, feelings that some of us have, um, but we just have to sort of push through, you know. If we think about what happens when a hurricane hits, right? Like it, 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 it hits, especially th those major hurricanes. You know, your roof can go. You might have, might have experienced this really traumatizing night, right? Of craziness, running from room to room and so forth. And the morning comes, and the sun shines, and you get to work. You start to clean your yard. You go. You might have to stay by a family member for a while. Some of us have to leave the island, but we, we mostly always rebuild, and we always sort of uh, get back on our feet. So that is really who we are. So even if this is a period of time in which it might not be the best time for us, um, we have to keep that hope and that belief alive that we will, you know, we will be back. We definitely will be back.